back on Date with the Night, and you just heard a preview of Flatline, the latest single by an underground New York duo who have, in a very short time, established an incredible, genre-defying maximalist sound. Today, I'm joined by Angel and Lulu of Frost Children. How are you both today? Yo, I'm pretty good, pretty good. Just vibing out in my bedroom here in Ridgewood, Queens. We're mid-vocal takes, doing some screams, so our voices might sound a little fried, but I think that podcasts love that. Yeah, definitely. Not to be cheesy, but it's pretty frosty here in Toronto. Like it's super cold. It's one of those days where you want to stay like bundled up, warm in bed. And I've just been listening to your album Spiral all day long. Oh, heck yeah. I can't even really describe to you, like when I first heard it, how my mind was blown by just the incredible production of this album. It sounds like you two have been making music for way longer than you actually have. And I'm really curious. How did you both get started as a duo and making music? First off, shouts out to all the uh, jam camps that we went to growing up. Angel's my sister, for those who don't know. They were called Camp Jam. They were kind of like Camp Rock, <laughs> but for like the suburbs. It was pretty sick. We both learned to play instruments of every sort. We were in a band together called the Punched Out Picks. Yeah. And then yeah. we were in a band together called the Termites. We were like 12 and we just did like Green Day covers and then Skrillex came and just blew our freaking minds. Yeah. And then we started to learn how to do production stuff. Yeah. Also, shouts out to our, we have an older brother, Brian, who uh, taught us production and like what a doll was and all that stuff. He's a genius. Those are some pretty great band names for being kids that you came up with. I kind of love those. <laughs> you might have to like name one of your songs after one of those bands that you started. Oh, we should. I liked Punched Out Picks because it was like P.O.P., and I remember like drawing like the logo. It was like a guitar pick and it was like P-O-P, like reflected, like symmetrical. And I was like, this is genius. <laughs> it's so interesting that you both were influenced by Skrillex because when Skrillex first came out, I always wondered what sort of influence that music might have on a younger generation. And mm. what was it specifically about Skrillex that really hooked you in? When you're in the suburbs and you don't really have any friends that like to go to shows or anything and you kind of just are seeing what's online and what music is cool, it makes sense that you drift towards the ones that sound the craziest. There was other electronic music happening at the same time, but it didn't connect with me as much because some of that was built for like festivals and shows, you know, like Tiesto and like Hardwell and stuff like it was kind of built for the big stage. Mm -hmm. Listening at home, like you wouldn't get the same experience that you were listening to, like, Bangarang or something from Skrillex. <laughs> it brought the whole, like, mind-boggling vibe of being at, like, an EDM show, like, yeah. to the house. Every generation experiences, like, that one artist at some point when they're, like, 14 and they're like, I didn't know music could sound like this. Yeah. You know, like, someone heard Frank Zappa or, like, Captain Beefheart in the 70s or something. I feel like is the way that our generation and people who make 
electronic music now felt when they heard Skrillex for the first time. Like, what? This is crazy. Yeah, um, Skrillex is the Captain Beefheart of the new generation. Yeah, <laughs> they should collab. I feel like you're honestly giving that same inspiration back to other people because honestly, the mind-boggling aspect could be completely applied to Spiral. Any of your music, really, it's just totally different and new, and it makes me really excited about where music is going. I kind of find it interesting, too, that Frost Children came about because of this cover of a Fall Out Boy song mm. that you did yep. together. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about how that kind of kick-started Frost Children? Yeah, I mean, it definitely did kick-start the whole thing, honestly. Like, we were just home for... Christmas. Yeah, Christmas 2020... 2020? Yeah, Christmas 2020. No, Christmas 2019. Yeah, yeah, it was before the pandemic. It was right before the pandemic. We were like, let's make a Christmas song and upload it the day of Christmas as like a new project. No one asked for it. Like yeah, no one, no, no one wanted it. Yeah. In fact, people explicitly didn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> but, my DMs were flooded being like, do not make this. Yeah. Right when we posted that, it was just like our friends commenting on our new Instagram Frost Children account to announce that. And they were just like, what is this? It's called You'll Shoot Your Eye Out by Fall Out Boy. I think it came out on one of their first greatest hits album, maybe. It Be- was their first greatest Believers hits. Never Die. Which is when we thought that Fall Out Boy had broken up, which of course was absolutely not true. <laughs> and yeah, it's just a really great song. And and we made it in the basement. Someone else was using like the little recording studio that our dad had. Yeah, I, I distinctly was... remember sitting at this like bar with the laptop and my headphones plugged in being like, all right, then this song should end in a giant speed up. And it just speeds up and up and up and up and up and up. And also the auto-tune should not change keys. <laughs> yeah. It should stay in the wrong key. And yeah. it's crazy. And then the pandemic hit and we ended up spending a lot more time with each other again. And we we're like, let's just make like more An music. original song. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine this. An original song. <laughs> Has Fall Out Boy heard the song yet or no? So maybe Angel can comment on the connection. I don't right? think they've heard that song. But I have a solo EP from around the same time period. And I have a song called Pete Wentz Haircut. And I think one of our fans on Instagram was like, I love this song. My dad does tennis lessons with Pete Wentz. And I can like try to show it to him if you want. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And so he did hear the song. He heard Pete Wentz Haircut by Angel Emoji. And I think replied over text and was just like, this is funny, period. And that was it. (laughs) Amazing. We got to get him to hear this other song too. We got to tag him in the Instagram post to promote this episode. Honestly, we got, we got more Fall Out Boy content. You got to hear the first Frost Children track on Spotify. What else kind of influenced you musically? We love Guided by Voices, Laraji. Oh, Ween. Been listening to a lot of Ween. Ween. Yes, yeah. Ween. Love Ween. This band called Death from the 70s. Oh, I haven't heard them. Not the one with like the old white dudes. It's the other one. Okay, I'll make a note of that. Also, I was a huge Beatles head growing up. It was actually the first reason I went to New York. I went with my mom to do like a Beatles scavenger hunt. We just like went to things that were Beatles related in New York. Our parents listened to a lot of Jimmy Buffett and Billy Joel. Honestly, those are some real goats and no one talks about it, especially Jimmy Buffett. That guy is an absolute genius. We're very inspired by him. Yeah, I'm inspired by the moguls of music that have franchised completely out and like made their like chain restaurant or like resort where some people might see that as selling out. I see it as like a ultimate world building and that's definitely something we're interested in. 
we both love Porter Robinson and we're super yeah. inspired by him growing up and like his early stuff and the way that he's built a world and like a scene for himself online and in person. I'm really inspired by artists that do the same thing their whole life and continue to do it into old age. Yeah, definitely um, Gary Wilson speaking of. I think Gary Wilson is someone who's committed to his art and his character more and more over time. Like he's still just making stuff on his Casio. Yeah, people that have done it their whole life and have been weird from day one and have made that weirdness not weird anymore via just like pure commitment and unchangingness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Jimmy Buffett, it's super pleasing, but it is like so campy and it's like tropicalness and the way that he's like dressed and his fans dress up with like the parrot heads and stuff. This is all like kind of strange and like yeah. you would expect from like a small underground artist. Gary Wilson's maybe at that point still where it's just like, small cult following i want to bring the cult following to the masses where it's just like a stadium of people that are into this weird sound it's interesting that you talk about these sort of musical influences and one of them being the beatles i just remember growing up and listening to my mom's original pressings of beatles albums oh, and yeah. they really experimented with their sound too they were not afraid to like branch out and dip their toes in something different and I think you also do that with your music, but also like the way that you present yourselves stylistically. It's a cohesive aesthetic, but there's this uniqueness about you. You know, I even like tried to dress up as both of you today. I tried to pick up my best like Frost <laughs> yeah. Children-esque outfit. Yeah, what is walk it? us through, walk us through the fit. It's not good enough, I feel. I feel like I could do it better. But I did have this like Petra Collins, I'm sorry t-shirt. I don't know if you've seen like any of her line Whoa. of clothing. Yo. But she has this like black t-shirt and has this weird kind of teddy bear on it with this weird... That's our friend Julian. Number one fairy tale. Yeah, his Instagram oh. number one fairy tale. He's a really talented artist and airbrusher. And I think he did that stuff for I'm Sorry. Oh, I'm guessing this is the shirt then because it's got like this airbrushed teddy bear with like this Whoa. purple-y figure that looks like Ditto from Pokemon. Yeah, that's definitely, that's gotta be Julian. That felt like my most Frost Children-esque shirt that I own. Yeah, yeah. I've got like this mesh long sleeve underneath and I've got these like neon pink and lime green with like this dark purple type of pants that I'm wearing. So love. Sounds I pretty proof. epic. Yeah, I love the I mesh. Proof. The mesh under the t-shirt is is awesome. Speaking of Julian at number one fairy tale, our very first Frost Children shirt before we even made our own merch was a Julian airbrush Frost Children shirt. Oh shit. At the very first New York Frost Children's show. Yeah, he brought Julian it. brought like, a shirt that said it Frost was uh, It was Karomi from like the Sanrio Hello Kitty universe. And it just said Frost Children in like a Disney font. So then I was on the right track with picking up this shirt then is what you're saying. Actually, yeah, you <laughs> tapped into some like really some unknown. Cultural, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Good job. A plus. Thank you. What I want to know is like, where do you draw aesthetic inspiration from? I'm not really thinking about it too much. I think we like the idea of choosing whatever we think looks right in the moment and then matching whatever that is to each other so that we like cohesively look intentional, but it's kind of like impulsively, like we just make it happen. And you don't want to be too bogged down in like reference, I think, when we're describing like the outfit or how a song sounds. Like there's some moments where it's helpful to be like, oh, the vocals should be mixed like this, or maybe we should do a skirt that's kind of like X brand. But like you want to do it more based on like emotional descriptors and that way you kind of liberate yourself from being tied down to anything. That being said, I'm inspired by the runway stuff, but I don't buy that stuff. So inherently, I can't really say that I'm like 
a huge Gucci person or mm. like a huge Miu Miu or whatever. Like I love those brands. I think they're awesome. But like I don't buy it because I can't and I'm forced to carve my own way through yeah. the world. <laughs> I'm like getting back into just like watching music videos. There's some really cool ones that I've been inspired by lately. There's this one Buster Rhymes music video. Really inspired me, but I can't remember the name of the track. Oh, now I'm going to be like Googling them all after this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, actually, I'm going to find it. It looks innate and effortless. It doesn't look like you're trying too hard. It feels very true to your character and just who you are. I'm so excited to see you both in concert. What can someone expect from one of your shows, seeing you both perform on stage? I feel like the second we step onto the stage, it's kind of like a different exaggerated character form of ourselves. And... Everything between the songs and like around the songs is carefully decided. Not a ton of dead space, but then when there is dead space, it's like clearly very intentional. The way that screenplays are like paced and stuff are like the way that we approach a set. We're definitely this really stuff. intentional about the full like 35 minute slot. Where do we put the banter? What sounds do we have that are going on behind the banter that kind of like assist in creating that little atmosphere in that moment it's a tricky thing with this sound in this genre subculture world where it's like the music is awesome to listen to at home the production you're like whoa i've never heard production like this or pop vocals like this but then like to translate that to the stage like if you're not careful it can become just singing over an instrumental i'm not like saying that's bad we just wanted to take the feeling of the music and like really translate it to the physical experience in the same way that a Jimmy Buffett does to like Margaritaville, mm -hmm. the restaurant, yeah. you know? It's mm -hmm. like you walk in and it's playing the stuff and it smells like coconuts and burgers named after a song. There's like some like art term for this, like Gesamtkunstwerk or whatever, but it's like Whoa. the, like yeah. the all-encompassing artwork of the thing encroaches on everything. And, you know, as we get more money and stuff and more budget, it's just going to increase in the live shows and yeah i want to style everyone in the venue all the staff in the bar and like wow make the specialty drinks i want to do it all yeah <laughs> i mean you know people paid money to be there dedicated their night to it you know i want to make sure they have a good time yeah it's all about just getting your money's worth that's the ultimate pleasurable experience no matter what yeah return on investment return that's... on investment no matter if you like the band if you like the vibe or the scene at the end of the day you just want to be like i spent 20 dollars and i'm glad i did it yeah, you paid for an immersive experience. There's songs like Get What You Want and Fox Bop. When I'm listening, I'm like, how are they going to do this on stage? Like, I'm <laughs> so interested and curious to see how they perform these songs. Is there one that's like your most favorite to play? Well, Fox Bop is definitely really fun to play because just listening to it, it's like a really like online bloggy song. But then when we translate it to the stage, the way that I think like our bodies move with it feels way more like pop star. Yeah. Which heightened how I like saw that song. Once we started like really performing it and like working on the choreo and stuff. And same with like the new record. We're like really planning that kind of stuff out, like translating. Yeah, flatline choreo live. Yeah, because there's like without even changing the actual sounds, just like the way that you carry yourself can really like make an impact on how people like think you see the song get what we want though i feel like is for a while we called it the forbidden song <laughs> it had a hex on it for a while and every time we played it something would get broken or go wrong the first frost children live show ever um ever was when we were still working on that track and it was a dj set that lulu and i did in france we were there for the celine show oh, in wow. the south of france like on this island ile de Mbiez, 
I was like in the show and they flew out Lulu to be photographed for like the diary or something. And yeah, we were just like, let's do a little DJ thing. And then we played Get What We Want and it was like so fast and a bunch of models were going crazy and (laughs) drunk and broke a bunch of glasses. And then they just came up to us, the Celine people, and they were just like, you have to lower the BPM, it's too fast. (laughs) And then we just ended the set because it sucks to hear that. Then we played it in New York shortly after and we had to stop the song midway because the PA system fell over. You know, it's just forbidden. It was just forbidden by the world. If someone requests it in the audience, we'll play it. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to doing it for sure, but I don't really want to bring a curse back into my life at the moment. Okay, well, I don't think you realize you're really selling the song, and now everyone who's listening to this episode is going <laughs> to want to see that one. Play it 66 times, and then look in the mirror, and then spin around five times, and we'll be there. flip the lights on, on and off, and then we appear. We'll do a slowed down reverb version of it somehow, some sort of like acoustic version. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah. yeah. Acoustic version would be cool. Yeah, because when we do play it, it actually it hits. Yeah, I can imagine. One of the like probably last times that we played it out was at this bar... Okay, this night that I'm about to reference needs to go down in history, okay? <laughs> it's a little place that is called Sour Mouse, and it's in Lower East Side, Manhattan. We played there with Blake the Man 1000, Sitcom, Harrison Patrick Smith, who's now the Dare, and um, Sydney, Gish. Sydney Gish. And it was to a crowd of probably 15 people. And, this uh, place is a, a, a nightmarish spot, too, in the best way. It's like an NFT venue. NFT bar with, like, neon lights and, like, Banksy on the wall. They don't have their liquor license fully, so it's, like, sake beverages only. To play pool is, like, $40 an hour. What? And it's just way too big for, and to be a place in Lower East Side Manhattan. It's, like, massive. This sounds like a fever dream. Like, I just... Really exactly. So, and Matt, try to imagine yourself there. We walk in. And it's a stand-up comedian, and they're doing their set to, like, two people at the bar, and then they walk off stage, and then immediately after, we put on Get What We Want and yeah, take we- over the mics and perform to, yeah, like, 15 people. Yeah, at that point, there was probably even less than 15. Yeah. That's, like, the world that that song lives in still is, like, the shadowy, cold walls of, of the <laughs> NFT bar of the Lower East Side, Sour Mouse. Yeah, that's some sort of, like, magical realism story right there. Yeah, it sounds like an AI story, but it's yeah. real. What kind of space do you hope to kind of carve out for yourselves within the music industry, especially with your new album that you're working on right now? via being like not too hyper referential but still like touching on those things for people just kind of like pop star of the future that doesn't exist yet Mm. something that will be referenced eventually and something timeless but also like really hitting in the moment challenging to the ears but not challenging for the sake of being challenging being like i like this but i don't really get it or get why is sort of like the ideal space that i like to be in i think we're both starting to love like 130 BPM. Nice. I'm more 128. But. 128. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the standard. I think it's the most danceable and most like groovable to anyone. And then like whatever you do between the beats can be anything. But as long as you have that groove, most ears are like, okay, I can get with this. Yeah, it's more focused pop mentality and playing all the sides of the simultaneous music scenes, making something for everyone, I think will always be a thing that we want to do. Have you seen the 2021 film Bell? Um, um, I don't think so. Okay, you should check it out. It's about an AI pop star. I feel like it's a very Frost Children 
Like if there was to be Is some like sort Is it like Spongebob? Of- <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely check it out. It's really cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'll report back. I'll write a review for the US Review. Please do. You've just released Flatline. Is there anything in particular that guides your songwriting, any inspiration while writing this album? Yeah. In the past year, we found this like book that our uncle Theo Burgess Frost wrote, which was a very strange thing to find. Yeah, we kind we, of just like stumbled across it when we were visiting family. Yeah, he was kind of like the weird uncle that our parents were just like steer a little bit clear of him. But I always thought he was kind of cool. But like, he made a mean casserole though. Yeah. <laughs> Recently discovered in the past year that he lives upstate in Saugerties, which is where we made a lot of Spiral. So we're at like a extended family thing, which we usually don't go to. And he told us about this book that he made in the 70s called How to Summon an Abris, Three-Step Guide of Summoning a Pop Music Muse. And he was like at the center of this alternative spiritual pop music community. Oh, wow. Got like barely any coverage. And so he like dug up from his archive like pamphlets that he published independently at the time. And we've basically been using that as a guide. What's an abris? In Theo's view, it's like a spirit that once you do like this three-step guide that he crafted would like essentially give you the inspiration of a song to make or like a vibe to assemble or conduct. Do you remember the steps? He was inspired by synth theory at the time. Moog's hitting the scene and stuff. Step one is overture. Turn on oscillators A and B. Set oscillator B level to 0%. In oscillator A, set sync to FM from B. Automate the sync with an LFO of choice. And then whisper, ego clarissimo. Make me famous. And that's step one. That's amazing. What are the other steps? Just asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> asking for a friend. Got yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I'll skip to step three, induction. Yeah, skip um, harmony. Sit atop a cushion stuffed with silver feathers. Whisper, sequence of sequins. Ego clarissimi. Make me famous. Everywhere, abris. Four times. And then you shift wavetable position of oscillator B to 100%. Double the rate of the LFO that you set in step one. And then let the abris direct you. And that's it. Wow. Blowing my mind. This is so cool. If my uncle handed me any of this stuff, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be so excited. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, we, we came across that like spring last year, like right after Spiral. And yeah. we we're like, yes, this is going to be the next guiding light. Before we had that, it was like looking up at the stars and just seeing like a bunch of dots. Once we had this, it was kind of like we could see all the constellations. Everything made sense. It has me really excited for us being able to show this to the world and giving it a platform again and maybe the platform that it deserved because anyone can turn an oscillator now. Yeah. What that means is a lot cheaper than what it meant back then. You know, you can just like get a free VST. Yeah. We should hit him up about doing like a V2. How do you split up the creative process? And are there certain aspects of songwriting or production that either of you naturally fall towards? This is also really good timing. We're kind of in the mixing stage right now and like getting the final touches. There's this guy, Virtual Riot, who's from like Anaheim and also produces some pop. And I've been in German or something. Yeah, he's German. He said he's from Anaheim. Oh, is that what I said? Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Anaheim. 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 Anaheim, Germany. He just like got off his tour, made a huge uh, two series video of 
mixing things and like cool things on Ableton to do. It came in time for our mixing process and it's definitely influenced how I've produced a lot of the drums and stuff and mixed them. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lulu's goaded with the with the mixing and production stuff. It's it's really a mixed bag with the songs on every album before and including this one, but it's all us. We do all the production, whether like Lulu does more, I do more, the songwriting or the lyrics or vocals, it depends. Even on Spiral, like there's some songs that were just Lulu or just Angel. And I think those moments are cool to have too. You know, it's really just like whatever feels right per track. And sometimes it'll be really clear and we'll write it on guitar and it's like, cool, that's the whole structure. Other times it'll be like, here's a cool beat. There must be a song in this. I know this can vary from song to song, but is there something you hope the audience takes away from your music or something that you want them to feel? Yeah, that's a good question. Very comfortable. Even on the crazy ones, I think it's still coming from like a comfortable place. I want everyone to feel pretty and confident and swaggy and unique. Once we like share all the Theo stuff, I'm also really excited to see what people make post of that being public. I've sent a lot of people your album to listen to, to put them onto your music if they haven't heard it already. I like it. Right now is probably one of my favorites. It's beautiful, but there's something that just makes me want to cry. I remember making that. We made that one in Socrates in this cabin. And Lulu started the beat while I was making... Tofu like, scramble? Tofu scramble oh. or butternut squash <laughs> or something. It all felt right in that moment. Is there something you look for when designing or programming a softer sounding song than maybe more energetic tracks like Bop Fox, for instance? It really depends on the day and what we're listening to. But once I know that we're in like a soft, kind of like serene track, once I know it's headed there, then the sounds just kind of like fall into that world. Especially Ableton is so fast. Yeah, having a tool where you can really just like put the idea down as fast as possible. You don't have to get too bogged down in, in the details is, is good. And I think with the softer stuff, it shares the quality of like our faster music in that it makes you like feeling the way that you feel when you listen to it. Like, I like it or used to worship you or softer songs that kind of make you excited to feel a little bit more sad yeah. <laughs> in a way. It's like, this is also a good feeling. Feeling sad is awesome and sad music is some of the best music, actually. Yeah, it's not even that it's particularly making me sad so much as it evokes like feelings similar to when I first listened to Because by the Beatles. I don't know, there's something kind of spiritual and... Yeah, for sure. Songs that make you cry but aren't like sad. Like I really love this song called Promise by Grouper. Yes, love that song too. It's so tender. It's so minimal very plain sentences. I love plain touching songs about like this person loves you unconditionally and here's like a really soft statement of that and that's all it is. It's not trying to do anything more. Yeah. That song makes me cry like unequivocally. Our live drummer Eden aka Marble Mouth put us on to this band called Algernon. uh, Algernon Catawaller. Yeah Catawaller. It's kind of like what you're describing on my end, I think is how I see this band. Their chords are so blissful and kind of like joyous, but then it's like these emo emotional lyrics. The other day I listened to Push the Little Daisies by Ween probably like 40 times in a row and I was like walking around the city. It's not a sad song, but I was just like, this is like visceral and like warm and yeah, I just shed a tear. I was like, this is like what music and life is about. This feeling I have walking around listening to this song right now. So let's talk a bit about your latest single, Flatline, your first track since signing to True Panther Sounds. 
Did you approach this track any differently than the tracks on your album, Spiral? I don't think it was too different as far as like how we made it. I made the beat originally when I was in St. Louis. I was like, it'd be cool to make a soft, minimal house beat. But then like the vocals are like really stretched out. I was listening to like Dead Mouse and Julie Cruz. Oh, I love Julie Cruz. I was like, there's got to be a way to combine these vibes. Do the lyrics speak to anything in particular? Is there like a sort of abstract concept behind it or just a headspace you were in? Yeah, it's not about anybody in specific. It'd be cool Sounds if like it was. someone would say if it was about something <laughs> specific. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not about my ex from blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's not about anybody in my life. It's right when I started uh, Love is Blind that show on Netflix. Oh, amazing. Yes. That's where I got the line from. I didn't think about that until now. I wish this song was true. I wish that I was like in love like that. That'd be so, cool. Sometimes we write songs that are very like conceptual. Where it's like you should be able to describe this to someone as a song about blank. But I feel like with Flatline, it was more just like what felt right after Lulu wrote the hook. The last part, the cut the shit part, we made that in this studio space that we rented for like two months. There was a rehearsal space right next to us, and the walls were so thin. They were just playing all the time. Everything that was coming out of there was yeah, really good. And, and we found out we have mutual friends with them, and they're actually a sick band called yeah. the Venus Twins. The Venus Twins. Shouts yeah. out to the Venus Twins. Sorry, our, our schedules did not work, and uh, it was unfortunate to share a studio space <laughs> yeah, it was with a... you, but we love your band. Yeah, your band's great. Can't wait for the new stuff. But yeah, at the time, we didn't know them, so we were, we were just like, like cut the shit. Yeah. You're trying to mess with our vibe. It's the anti-vibe disruptor song that one's gonna be a fun one to see on stage as well i can't wait to see how you perform that one like have you performed it live before or is this like the first time people are hearing it we've kept the songs from the new album kind of under wraps but flatline we've done a bunch of times live if you've gone to our shows you'll probably recognize this one how did the concept for the music video come together Basically, I had been to Home Depot recently, my favorite store ever, <laughs> around Christmas time and Halloween. They have like the most insane animatronics. It's just like the best place on earth. And so Halloween, they have this iconic 12-foot skeleton that blinks and like has LED eyes. I was like, we should just make a video just like us with this giant skeleton and our bodies are painted purple. But I was like, this is it. Yeah. This is what the song is. Yeah. And yes, we hit up Jake Lazovic from the band Sitcom. He also does video work for this group called Powered by Wind. And yeah, we did it. It was awesome. Then we walked around and got ice cream. There's probably some symbolism in there, actually, now that I talk about that <laughs> visual concept next to the lyric content. There probably is some like something to be said. I love the part of the bridge where it kind of drops into your live performance. That was a shot from Lake of Land, this land party that Club Cringe. <laughs> Club Cringe. Yeah, shouts out to Club Cringe. Love that name. Actually, speaking of that show, that was our first like, kind of Jimmy Buffett moment. We had a drink called the Lake of Love. It was a music video release for our song, Lake of Love. We hosted it at a gaming bar in Brooklyn called Brooklyn. So you could like play video games and also watch the music video. And then we also did like a full performance and had like DJs and stuff. And we also, I took the skeleton from the video to the show. To and so it was there and it was holding a halo sword and it made it into the video and people were getting photos with it. And then I ended up selling it to Brooklyn. So I think it's still there. I think the skeleton should be the unofficial third member of your group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would get jealous super fast. Everyone would be looking at the skeleton, <laughs> not at me. Yeah. 
Actually, it's interesting you talk of Lake of Love because I love that music video. And Lulu, you did animation for it on Blender. Yeah, um, all on Blender. Have you been doing a lot of animations to accompany your music for a long time? Or is this like a relatively new thing? I learned Blender right when I moved to New York, which was a year and a half ago. Wow. I like wanted to get into it and then quickly found out that Blender was free. And then there's this guy named the Blender Guru on YouTube who makes a full series on how to build a donut in Blender. It's a very uh, efficient tutorial. Lake of Love is the first Blender project that I ever did. Angel, what did you think of their animation when you first saw it? I'm always blown away by Lulu's animation skills. I'm like a big believer in like meditation and I meditate every morning. And I always like envision this lake that shoots like love into you, but like never depletes itself. It's like a always full lake. And so we were just kind of like writing down like stuff on post-it notes when we were upstate. I wrote Lake of Love one night and then Lulu saw that note and started the song. And then the video, there's like one scene that Lulu made that's like a lake with hearts shooting out of it straight towards the sky. And I was like, that's pretty much the vibe. It's crazy to see this like meditative vision I have become this 3D scape with like my face on it. I mean, that's all you could hope for as an artist is to like, see the stuff from inside you like on a thing. Angel's also a a gimp master. What is that? The most (laughs) efficient and intellectual of the photo (laughs) editing softwares. So Lulu, while you make your animations, Angel, she can be on gimp and doing her own thing. Yeah, Yeah, we did a lot of collabing with spiral graphics and designs and posters and stuff. Sometimes we cross paths. I did some 2D animation for our live visuals on Blender. Oh, yeah. nice. Angel made the vinyl sleeves and stuff, all that design. And do you incorporate those animations and visuals in your show in the background? Do you have any sort of video behind you or no? When a venue can accommodate it, yeah. yeah. We, we have some visuals. We have this one for Make the Floor Died. Oh, I love that song, yeah. The metronome in that song is just oh, the, like, Yeah, the Ableton metronome. I always love nods to the metronome. Yeah, yeah, it's the most primal version of a beat. If the caveman had a metronome, shit would be different right now. <laughs> yeah, we'd be light years ahead of where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, we'd be on the moon. We'd be having this podcast in space. There's a movie that Ringo Starr stars in, and uh, <laughs> that was fun to say. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. He's like a caveman. I think it's literally I think it's is it called, just called caveman. caveman. It yeah. probably is. Yes, I think I know what you're talking about. It was in the early 80s. Yeah, and it's all caveman language. Oh, I got to check that one out. There's a lot of good like caveman court. There's a Michael Sarah movie. Yeah. Oh, also the SpongeBob caveman versus robots episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. SpongeBob seems to be sort of an influence. What is it all about SpongeBob? SpongeBob is just the most salient cultural symbol of our generation. Not only like is it great content and just great television, it's more than just like a nostalgia trip of like, remember SpongeBob? That shit was crazy. No, we watch it, it there's like frequently it, now and still laugh all it's, the time. It's really good, but then it's just like the what it's become as a cultural artifact. I mean, not even artifacts, cultural tour de force. Like just the other night I was walking down the street and there was a massive garage door in Bushwick that was just like colors inverted SpongeBob mouth. And I was like, that's just there, you know, like that's awesome. It's like an ever present symbol of the world right now. And our generation's Mickey Mouse. There's a bar near my house and there's a bartender there and she has this spongebob tattoo he's like swole he's got like a six-pack yo this is an interesting phenomenon there is one episode in like the original like 
three seasons where he gets strong. Maybe that episode was a hit because like in the franchise after and like, you know, the franchise is kind of not good anymore. Post Steven Hillenberg. Yeah, Steven Hillenberg died and everything's become bad. And they just love making him buff. <laughs> On a tattoo, it's epic. I gave Lulu for Christmas this year, actually, a bootleg SpongeBob necklace, rare. Oh, wow. Where he's making this like, face that he just never has made in any of the seasons or movies yeah he's like bulging his cheeks out as if he's like blowing a bubble but he's like not bootleg spongebob stuff is very epic there's a theme park here in canada canada's wonderland and they used to have this 3d ride where the seats move a bunch and it makes you feel like you're in the movie and it was about spongebob and he's trying to find the lost pickle from a burger whoa no longer there anymore but i'm a huge fan of spongebob it's is the theme park still there it's still there but it's not owned by paramount anymore i love the theme parks that have like lost their franchising or whatever and are just kind of like going with their own motto or their own mascot design or whatever i think that's awesome well they have to rename everything there was a ride called top gun and tomb raider and i don't know what they're called anymore but the names are just like hilarious. It's like off-brand cereal. Yeah, like when you go to the Halloween store and they don't have the rights to actually call a costume like, I don't know, Wednesday Adams, so they call her Little Goth Girl or something. Like it's just these yeah. weird <laughs> plays on the name. It's been so fun talking to you. I wanted to know if before we leave, I know you brought some bongos and like... Yeah, we brought a guitar and a bongo. If you want to freestyle or play something... Yeah, why not? We, we brought this after all play a song can you hear the guitar all right you're coming in nice and clear all right it's about to be a abbey road studio recording hell yeah a kiss a fawning a sparkle in your eye we love the rolls We've come to occupy What's yours is mine Ain't that just fine We're passers-by In a blue lullaby I'm always on your side Until I'm 85 They say it's me for you And you for me It's more like you for you And me for free so go ahead and tell me off I know that you will say enough's enough But I know it's okay I know you love, you love me I know, I know you love me oh Freaking cereal.
like crying. <laughs> I was like honestly so beautiful. Thank you. Oh shit, dude. Thank you. <laughs> trying to gain my composure. <laughs> that was honestly amazing. Is that going to be on your new album? It'll be out eventually. eventually. Thank you so much for playing that live here on Date with the Night. Thank you so much yeah. again yeah. for coming on the pod. It's been my honor to talk to you and speak to you here today about your music. Thanks for having us. This has been a pleasant time. Pleasant afternoon. Make sure to follow Frost Children on Instagram at the Frost Children. And you can also follow Lulu at lulu.wave, W-A-V, and angel double underscore emoji on Instagram. And make sure to check out their latest single, Flatline, as well as their 2022 full-length album, Spiral, on all streaming platforms. Thank you so much again to both of you and to listeners. See you later. Thank you. Much love. Peace. See you later. See you later.